Welcome to the Great Loop Radio podcast, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo, the director of AGLCA. Today, we are going to dive into Starlink, which has really kind of been a hot topic for several months now, but we continue to get more and more questions about Starlink and about the recent changes. So we're going to cover that today, and I've asked Ben Stein of Panbo to join us. We'll introduce Ben in just a minute. First, I'd like to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, Ben Stein, thank you for joining me. Hi, Kim. Glad to be here. Uh, glad to have you. And uh, Ben and his family, of course, are gold loopers. And uh, Ben is with Panbo.com. Um, just for starters, tell us a little bit about your own loop and, and how you became to um, uh, how you came to be kind of the top cheese, so to speak, at Panbo. Uh, so we did the loop in 16 and 17, uh, left in August of 16 from Chicago and returned in October of 17. Uh, we were a little bit out of the, the norm, particularly for back then, in terms of uh, it was my wife and I and our two daughters, Ma uh, Molly and Madeline. They were six and nine when we left. Um, and we liked it so much that in 18, we jumped back on the boat and uh, met some other families up in the North Channel and then made our way down south, kind of uh, stalled out in Fort Myers, Florida where we lived aboard the boat until September of last year when Ian uh, hit Fort Myers pretty hard and hit our marina and boat very hard. Uh, and so now, for at least for a little while, we're living on land. Um, sometime shortly after the loop, I realized that I did not have a great interest in going back to my corporate job and lifestyle and started kind of putting out feelers about what I could do that was a little bit more portable and a little bit more interesting than uh, a world of financial services that I was in before and uh, came across and started writing for Panbo and uh, in early 18 took over as editor and publisher of the uh, of it and um, now I am the king of my own tiny little fiefdom. Um, well, and, and, and Panbo.com is an AGLCA sponsor. So tell us a little bit about Panbo for those who have not come across it yet. Yeah. yeah so Panbo is primarily a website where I review marine technology, and that can range from topics like Starlink, navigational electronics, but also a lot in the um, in the power side of um, of cruising boats, and you know how to live on a boat. Um, that may not have been designed for that, how to uh, have your fridge work and all of those things work when you're away from the dock and you know, have ample power, et cetera. So uh, a pretty broad range of topics. It's a, it, it's, I try to be primarily focused on hands-on reviews of marine products and uh, marine technology, as well as keeping abreast of the, the developments more broadly and where the technology is headed, uh, probably part of how we come to be talking today. Yeah, and so um, panbo.com is where you can read Ben's work. Lots of insight there. Also, at, since you brought up um, the situation in Fort Myers, also one of the best kind of most heartfelt articles I've read about 
what happened in Fort Myers and what it's like to actually um, very sadly lose a boat that's also your home. So thank you for kind of sharing that with people who really, um, I think until you're there and experience it, you don't quite understand the community, the, the sense of the loss of community. And that's a great piece. And you can find that on canbo.com as well. But the topic today, topic at hand is Starlink. Um, it continues to pop up on online boating forums, on online boating social media. Um, and I think the only thing consistent about Starlink is the nonstop changes to their offerings. Um, and I think we actually have Starlink aboard due to your uh, kind of early adoption of Starlink on a boat, Ben. So um, it's absolutely been a game changer for us. I've heard other people describe it that way. Kind of explain, you know, why Starlink is kind of, you know, the best option out there. And I'm paraphrasing, you may not agree with that, but for us, Starlink is the best option out there for internet while on the boat. So uh, how did Starlink come to become this game changer? Sure. So I think one of the things we should talk about very early on, because uh, we're going to see his fingerprints throughout this conversation, is that Starlink is an Elon Musk-backed company. Um, and operates in the same way that many of the Elon Musk-backed companies do, uh, that can sometimes be good and sometimes be a little bit challenging or a lot challenging. But one of the things that Musk is really, uh, has made a name for himself doing is taking on what appear to be very, very difficult, very thorny problems, and through some clever engineering and a lot of persistence and perseverance, making it happen and often proving a lot of skeptics wrong in the process. Um, Starlink is basically a constellation of today around 4,000 low Earth orbit, meaning relatively close to Earth, satellites. Uh, they're fairly small satellites, um, and they are launched multiple times a month right now, about 50 at a time. One of the things that has helped Starlink tremendously is that it is part of SpaceX, which is a rocket company. And it's a whole lot easier to launch satellites into space when you also own a rocket company. Um, Starlink is designed to provide internet access nearly anywhere on the surface of the Earth. Um, and starting about two years ago, they began some small offerings, some limited offerings, um, and over the course of those two years, they have built the network out. They have, uh, late last year, they exceeded a million subscribers to the service, um, and they have built a very real and functioning internet access offering by using ground terminals, which are about the size of a, uh, they're about 11 by 20 inches, uh, and not more than about 10 or 15 pounds, so small, relatively portable terminals that aim up at outer space and watch the satellites go by overhead and uh, transmit information up to the satellites and then from there back down to ground stations. And for loopers, what that means is anywhere on the loop, you can have internet connectivity. Um, it does not matter if you are in a super ur dense urban area or an ultra remote area, um, you're, you can have internet connectivity as long as you've got a clear view of the sky. And fortunately on boats, we usually have a pretty clear view of the sky, so that's rarely a problem. Um, 
Starlink has meant that we have had service in places that never had service before. The, the probably the, the most prominent for the loop is uh, crossing the Gulf of Mexico. Um, anywhere on that crossing, you've got service. Um, we'll get into this in a little bit more detail in a bit, but um, the Gulf of Mexico is probably one of the first times we'll touch on the fact that things work right now that Starlink says aren't necessarily within their terms of service. They don't always enforce those terms of service, so things like uh, Starlink isn't supposed to work in motion unless you have in-motion hardware, but it does, and many loopers, I think, have crossed the Gulf with their stationary-only hardware working and full connectivity the whole way across. So they said, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more because there's a lot there and it's part of what drives that constant change that you talked about. But fundamentally what Starlink is, is it is internet access at a relatively affordable price. So right now the cost of the hardware for the stationary hardware is $600 on a one-time expense. For in-motion hardware, it's $2,500 as a one-time expense. There is then a cost for service of $150 a month. That service is what Starlink now calls Roam and now says pretty clearly on it for land use only. Again, we'll talk more about um, terms of service versus reality in a bit. But for $600 or $2,500 and $150 a month, you have unlimited internet connectivity. Um, it's been very difficult to find that level of service via cellular networks um, and often at similar, maybe slightly lower prices, um, but often those services work for a bit and then stop working or you are um, subject to limits that nobody talked about when you signed up or, um, and certainly in remote areas aren't gonna work, definitely won't work across the Gulf, et cetera. Um, the best comparison would probably be some of the existing satellite internet constellations, um, which are orders of magnitude more expensive. So an unlimited uh, Intellian uh, or KVH, package would probably be on the order of, you know, you're usually around $10,000 a month, um, thereabouts, and uh, rate plan, excuse me, $10,000 for the hardware, and rate plans starting in the thousands of dollars a month, and also working up to easily around 10 grand a month for fully unlimited. Um, that is all to say that those have really been out of reach for most recreational boaters, um, so satellite Intel Starlink really wasn't an option, or if it was, it was an Inmarsat or similar super low bandwidth. You certainly couldn't stream anything. You might be able to get a text message or an email out kinds of rate plans. Um, so it's, um, you know, you use the word game changer, and I think it's totally appropriate and fair. We, we've, in the last two years, we've seen an option and a category of options um, come to fruition that, you know, Intel very recently sounded like something from the Jetsons. Um, so it's, I think it, I think it is game changing and I think it is uh, very well timed as we are seeing more and more loopers potentially working from their boats and balancing the business of real life with the, the, the amazing experience of the loop. 
Yeah, I know for us, we um, before we got Starlink, we had a hotspots basically aboard from three different providers. Um, all of them worked most of the time. There were a few times along the way that, you know, two of them weren't. So we were thankful for the third as a backup. Um, we got Starlink while we were along the Erie Canal just before we went into Canada, because for um, U.S. cell plans, Canada is usually one of your struggles. Um, with many carriers. We actually had a couple of loopers this season um, who ended up with uh, cell phone bills after they went into Canada in the $100,000 range after they were told by their uh, carrier that Canada was included. Um, and it wasn't like an immediate, oh, yes, we'll take that right off your bill. It was it was a little bit of a challenge for them to get those charges reversed and down to something reasonable. Um, so we were thankful we got Starlink before we went into Canada. Um, and since then, of course, we've come down the river system, which is notably one of the places where a lot of uh, if you had a dead spot on the loop, it was likely going to be in those rural areas and in like inland rivers. Um, and really, uh, Starlink has worked pretty flawlessly through all of those. The one day we had a little bit of trouble was um, when we were at um, DuSable in Chicago. And I think it was actually the skyscrapers that were blocking our view of the sky. Yeah, um, the sure first was. day, it was yep. a little bit of a challenge. Um, and the next by the next day, something had adjusted because it was uh, working much better. But, um, you know, I'm able to, well, we're able to stream on multiple devices and I'm able to upload and download videos that I need to edit or, you know, post to YouTube or whatever it might be. So it's really made a big difference. I don't think we could have kept up with working aboard in the way that we do without it. Um, so you mentioned uh, just in that last part, Ben, a little bit about um, some of the other satellite options. And people today going to the Starlink website are going to see a maritime service and probably immediately get sticker shock from the price there, because that does appear to be more in line and pricing with what you would see um, in some of those services that are designed for cruise ships and oil rigs. So if you go to go to the Starlink website and see that package and it's wildly expensive, that's not typically what loopers need. Um, but then it, at the same time, there's really nothing there that says, here's what loopers need. So um, tell us, Ben, there's a couple of hardware options. Like, let's kind of start there. What's what's the hardware? You mentioned the in motion versus the not in motion, but tell us a little bit more about those and who might need which of them. Yep. So. I actually think before I can tell you too much about the hardware, we have to talk a little bit about what I've already alluded to, which is terms of service versus reality. So the Starlink terms of service are relatively clear, though they do change somewhat regularly, um, about what is and is not allowed. And so, for instance, since Starlink started offering their hardware, they have said that the $600 terminal, which is the the, the least expensive option is not to be used in motion. Um, but it's worked flawlessly in motion pretty much the entire time. At times, for a week or two here or there, Starlink has experimented with some caps so that if you're moving faster than 10 miles an hour or 10 knots, it will stop working. Um, but th throughout that time period, the terms of service have said, this, won't, it, this is not to be used in motion. Um, and part of the, the challenge is that very frequently the changes that we see with Starlink are changes of enforcing what has been written for some time. Um, and usually when that enforcement comes, it's because they're also going to bring out a product to meet that need where it will be within terms of service. So right now, um, there are two hardware packages. Uh, sorry, there's really three. Um, the $600 
residential dish. Starlink calls them dishy. Um, they're technically satellite terminals. Um, any number of uh, terms, antenna, dish, receiver, get applied to it. But there's the $600 hardware package, which is not, again, according to the terms of service, not to be used in motion. There is a $2,500 high-performance terminal also not to be used in motion. It is primarily designed to be paired with the business offering. Um, that offering is a high-throughput offering for remote businesses that may need a lot of internet connectivity and don't mind the higher service expense and higher hardware expense. We're really not going to talk about business at all beyond acknowledging that there is that third hardware type to support it. The two hardware types we care about are the $600 flat non-motion and the $2,500 in-motion. The in-motion receiver, the in-motion terminal, is a wedge-shaped flat terminal uh, designed to be mounted on the roof of a RV, on the top of a van. Um, I'm being a little bit, oh, actually in maritime service, it is designed to be mounted on a boat. If you're using it with Rome, Starlink would tell you it's not to be used on the water, but you know, we, have, we, we, we know of probably hundreds of loopers who, who have, it, have it and are using it on the water. Most of them are using the $600 hardware. That hardware has a hole coming out of it, out of the bottom of it, and it, it moves. It has motors built into it so that it can aim itself towards the ideal portion of the sky to see the most satellites possible. The flat in motion uh, terminal does not move. It is fixed. It is a lower profile designed to be you know, more tolerant of wind, et cetera, um, and it is larger so that it can see more of the sky without moving itself. Um, for our purposes, the main package that those are going to be paired with are called Rome. Rome, until about a month ago, was called RV. Um, Starlink broadened the name with Rome to acknowledge that it's really for anybody who wants to travel and have internet connectivity. The big asterisk there is anybody who wants to travel and have internet connectivity on land. Um, similar to the hardware and working in motion or not, right now a Rome service will work on land and on the water. And on the water it will work from anecdotal reports anywhere. People across the Atlantic, the Pacific, uh, some pretty extreme cruising with Starlink, and they are receiving flawless internet for 150, or if they have what's called global roam, which works anywhere in the world, $200 a month. Um, just to give a little comparison, these are plans that do not have a bandwidth cap, and we are talking about 150 or $200 a month. The most recent rate sheet that I have from KVH, which is a little bit older, uh, shows a 10 gigabyte, uh, not terabyte, but 10 gigabyte rate plan at $3,000 for the month. Um, many of us, an evening of streaming would be 10 gigabytes. So right. um, it would be an extraordinarily expensive evening of streaming at three grand. <laughs> um, but um, the the order of magnitude of affordability is huge in Starlink. These don't necessarily sound like super cheap numbers, right? $150 or $200 a month, $2,500 for hardware. It's not nothing, but compared to what 
the satellite landscape used to look like, it's extraordinarily inexpensive. Right. So let's take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. Um, when we come back, I do want to talk a little bit more about those service plans and kind of that idea that Rome is not um, the, the the terms currently say it is land only and what that could mean in the future for loopers. So we'll be back in a moment. This is a message from Captain Scott A. Wally. Hello, fellow loopers. S.A. Wally Marine Services is new to AGLCA, however, not to boating nor the boating community. Very few people have the opportunity to experience the Great Loop. In doing so, the time may come where some guidance and or assistance is needed. This may be in the form of either travel or technical support. My goal as a seasoned captain and AGLCA sponsor is to be there for fellow boaters, as we are all shipmates in this exciting adventure. Signed, Captain Scott A. Wally of S.A. Wally Marine Services. This is a message from Steve, the dockmaster at Half Moon Bay Marina. If you're heading up the Hudson River, Half Moon Bay is 20 miles north of the George Washington Bridge. They have stellar dog walking paths and parks that start at the marina. They're the only deep water marina in a 30 mile radius, and the marina is fully protected with a wave attenuated seawall. Half Moon Bay has many services, including high speed Wi Fi, pump out, divers, mechanics, and access to enterprise car rental with free pickup and delivery. Half Moon Bay is very close to a local airport and train service to New York City and they offer looper discounts at a local fuel dock. Stop by and see them when you're on the Hudson River. Welcome back. We are on the Great Loop Radio podcast, and today our guest is Ben Stein of Panbo. Ben is giving us the lowdown on today's Starlink, which could be very different tomorrow, as we all know. Uh, the past with Starlink has showed that uh, change is a constant. Um, one of the things that for loopers who already have Starlink, myself included, um, is that when the new Rome service plan came out to replace RV, which is what most loopers had up till now, um, it very specifically started to use the term land use, which, of course, makes those of us who are using it on the water concerned. And we're not necessarily even talking about in motion here. Um, you know, there's some language in the frequently asked questions area on the Starlink site that references geofencing that they would use to determine you are um, still land-based. Any thoughts on how that might affect loopers? I mean, it is mostly an inland trip. You know, would the geofences be able to discern whether you're on the Tennessee River or on the shore? So I have a lot of thoughts about this, and I will share all of them, but I will start with a great big disclaimer that is, a, Starlink does not have a media relations office like almost all of the Elon Musk-backed companies. And B, I have no source of inside information. So what you are going to get is my blind speculation and only my blind speculation. Um, and my speculation is that it will not be worth it for Starlink to try and slice things that finely. You use the example of the Inland Rivers. I cannot imagine that they will bother trying to you know, stop the service from working if you're floating 200 feet offshore versus 200 feet you know, past the shoreline on land. It seems almost inconceivable that they would bother. The amount of support traffic they would generate for themselves is nearly certainly not worth it. I also think that, um, and there have been some indicators of this here and there, that they're somewhat likely to let cellular coverage be kind of a guide about where 
they will consider it on land use versus offshore use. So cellular coverage usually makes it three to five miles offshore. My supposition, assumption, is that they'll probably do something somewhat similar with their geofencing. I think it is only a matter of time until they geofence. Every Starlink terminal has a very high accuracy GPS receiver in it. They know exactly where that terminal is. If they wanted to make it stop at the high tide line, at the low tide line, anywhere in between, they have that ability. I just don't think they're going to use it. I think they're going to keep the service similar to cellular coverage, so you'll get a couple of miles offshore, and then the geofencing will kick in and it will stop. I fully expect they will geofence at some point. It is only a matter of time. Um, they've done some things that make it clear that they've been experimenting with that, um, and that, again, follows their playbook. They will often do some unannounced things, start enforcing something in the terms of service, stop, and then a month later be back with a new service offering. Um, there is another hint out there about that, which is um, right now the cheapest maritime package is $1,000 a month. That $1,000 a month gets you one terabyte of, which is 1,000 gigabytes, um, one terabyte of data transfer offshore. Um, they are now, through some resellers, we are seeing a 50 gigabyte offshore plan being offered for $250 a month. That gives you 200, excuse me, that gives you 50 gigabytes of offshore travel, but that plan says when you are on land, you will have basically roam-like service. So that starts to be, you know, if you're crossing the Atlantic or something like that and want a little bit of coverage, that's pretty interesting. And I think that, that notion that as you get close to shore, it switches to roam, is a, is a good indication about what they're probably going to do more broadly with their near coastal plans. So again, it's my, my assumption, but it, my assumption is that near coastal, we will be fine. The two areas of the loop that I can see being impacted would be the Gulf crossing for sure. Possibly, and to me it's kind of a coin flip, some of the Great Lakes mid-lake coverage, whether, they're, whether they would consider that offshore or whether they you know, are just going to draw a great big rectangle around the continental U.S. and, and call that good enough. Right. And, you know, it's it's so interesting just kind of, um, you know, those of us who have come to rely on it, um, the, the idea of that service being taken away <laughs> is a little bit unsettling. Uh, but we do have to remember that until Starlink, there was no coverage in those places anyway. And what we're still getting is much better reliability and coverage everywhere else so if in the middle of lake michigan in the middle of the gulf are the places that starlink if that turns out to be the case if those are the places it ceases to work i think i can live with that yes and i think there is a glass half full glass half empty conundrum here which is mm -hmm. the other way that starlink could have launched would be to only turn on the services that were fully baked and they were fully ready to offer one of the things that would have meant early on is that there would have been nothing starlink launched with a beta program that they called, this is their branding, this is not a summary, it was the better than nothing beta. And what they were saying was, if you have no coverage, this will surely be better than no coverage. We don't know how good it is yet because it's a beta, it's a test. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and they exited their beta period over a year ago, but that's sort of a name only. But what they've really been doing is, 
is testing a lot of these additional services and leaving all the switches turned on until they're ready to start offering these as commercial services. So to me, where the glass half full, half empty thing comes in is you can, you can certainly see it, and boy, some of the posters on social media definitely do see it as somebody taking away something I had and something I was paying for and you know I want it back. Or you can see it as for two years, which is how long it's been now, you got free open ocean coverage. That coverage would have cost you thousands and thousands of dollars through any other means, and they gave that away until they were ready to start charging for it. Right. Um, and, you know, it's, everybody's going to see it differently. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and there are people who read the Starlink threads, read the Starlink uh, Facebook posts, and say, you know, this sounds like too much change for me. I'm just going to wait until it seems more ready. And I think if you don't want to put up with the change, that, that's a great plan. Sure. An even better plan if you have an alternative um, or aren't that reliant on Internet. Um, but for those of us who are, you know, to me, it's been, it's been a trade I'll take all day long. Yeah, um, us as well. And, you know, just to kind of wrap up and summarize a little bit for kind of a, a, a typical looper use case scenario, and um, we are probably – more users than most loopers, meaning we're working aboard and doing all the things all day long. Um, we have the $600 hardware option. Were the um, in-motion hardware option available at $2,500? I think we would still have <laughs> the $600 version, but essentially those are the two choices for that make the most sense for loopers are either you know the $600 terminal that's meant um, to stay in place, but is small and sits on the bow of our boat, or the in-motion terminal at 2,500. Is that a, a decent summary of the two options? I think that is a decent summary, and I would be even a little bit more forceful about the $600 option. Even if they start enforcing motion restrictions on the $600 hardware, to me, the vast, vast majority of loopers are really, if you think about how often it was vital that you had satellite internet underway, that's a pretty short list. And that $1,900 cost difference, you know, you might be trying to justify that over a handful of times that you really needed in motion. Um, my, you know, I would say that with working with kids on board, with all those things, we were very dependent on internet connectivity. And I would be very comfortable with not having Starlink when we were in motion and, you know, relying on connectivity on our phones or things like that for the, the times when we really, really did need it. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, you know, most of the time when the boat is in motion, we're mostly focused on that. Um, we're certainly exactly. not streaming things. Um, I am often doing some work on my laptop, but that is pretty low bandwidth type stuff. And we would easily default to a cellular hotspot um, in those instances if we needed connectivity in motion to be doing something, we'd save the high bandwidth things for later when we're we're stopped. The other thing about the in motion, um, you know, not not suggesting that people violate terms of service, but in motion on a boat is very different than in motion on the highway. Um, some loopers are traveling at you know seven or eight knots as a standard anyway, and that may never be detected as in motion even if that restriction does start to really apply. So yeah, I would be hard pressed Correct. to spend the $2,500. Um, and then the service plan for loopers, um, since we're 
not likely doing the maritime um, is pretty much the same, their own plan. And it's currently $150 a month. Is that, or is there something else loopers might consider? Um, there, there are two Rome plans. One is, uh, uh, your area, your continent, and that's $150 a month for $200 a month. It will work anywhere in the world, um, on land again, according to their terms. Um, I, you know, I don't, I think for most loopers, you're, you're not super likely to go very far afield of North America, um, by boat. One of the other, I think one of the things that's worth mentioning that is a potential benefit to that $600 hardware as well is it's very easily removed. Even if it's on a pole mount, even if it's on some form of permanent mount, it's quite easy to remove. So if you, uh, you know, aren't on the boat for an extended period of time and are somewhere else where you would like that internet connectivity, you can take it with you. The flat mount, uh, the, the in motion one is designed to be much more permanently mounted and taking it with you might be a little bit more difficult. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, last question, because I don't think we've touched on this. Um, in the last month or so, one of the changes Starlink introduced was some prioritized data caps. So um, just kind of fill us in on what that means to the average looper. Are they going to hit those data caps? And what does prioritized mean to them? Yeah. So um, we're going to Starlink is probably borrowing a playbook and some terminology from the cellular phone industry, and that's a little bit unfortunate because the cellular phone industry is, of course, the, the industry that redefined the word unlimited to mean limited. Um, <laughs> but um, they are using the, the notion of prioritized data, and what prioritized data means is if you have 10 users and two of them are under their prioritized data cap, and the other eight have exceeded their prioritized data cap, the two who are under it will get priority. That only matters if there's a limited amount of bandwidth in the area, and hence you're contending for bandwidth. They're not going to slow you down just to slow you down. But, and this is a really big but, Rome is never prioritized traffic. Rome is always non-prioritized traffic. So on Rome, you don't have a bucket of prioritized traffic. That's a potential downside. But the other thing it means is that there's no cap for you whatsoever. You're going to get the same priority, which is the theoretically lower priority, from the first bit that you tra transfer until the last terabyte of data that you transfer in a month. Um, with residential service, with maritime, you are prioritized for some number of gigabytes or terabytes. Um, residential, you get a one terabyte prioritized allotment, and then you go to non-prioritized. Um, you guys have RV service, right, Kim? We do. Mm -hmm. so, so you have had non-prioritized data for at least the last six months, and my guess is you haven't noticed a thing. I've not noticed a thing. You would, you might, if you got the the place that I'm hearing it the most is there's a area of Arizona called Quartzsite, Arizona, which is a huge winter destination for RVers, and Starlink has enjoyed probably greater adoption in the RV community even than in the marine sure. community. Mm -hmm. And so when thousands of RVs arrive and you know 20% of them have Starlink on, there is some congestion there because you've got this relatively small geographic area with an outsized number of terminals and hence some 
you know, contention for, for bandwidth. But that's, it's, at least so far, it's been the exception rather than the norm by a yeah. wide margin. We have not seen any difference since that went into effect at all. Um, and I guess final thing we really haven't covered for those who are really, you know, into the actual speeds. Most of us don't really care what megabits per second means. You know, if we can stream, we're good or upload or download videos. Um, but for those who are, you know, interested in that actual speed with the Rome service, typically any idea what speeds you can expect upbound and downbound? Yeah, you can expect uh somewhere around 100 megabits per second. Um, Starlink has a data table that I think shows just under 100 for, um, for Rome, but um, overall, usually I'm seeing 100 to 120. Um, you'll see some fluctuation. I think probably by the, the metric that most of us care about, uh, it's extremely unusual to see any issues with streaming you know any buffering anything like that including with multiple streams running um all of those things happening at once um it it still works flawlessly in in nearly every case all right well i think you've answered a lot of questions for um loopers or would-be loopers who are planning their adventure and Wondering if Starlink is the way to go if they want connectivity. Um, in my opinion, it is. <laughs> Sounds like you would agree with that, Ben. So thanks for, well, sharing all the, yep, yep. thanks for sharing all those details with us today. We appreciate it. My pleasure. And again, Ben is with Panbo. You can find him at panbo.com. It is the marine electronics hub. Um, so for all things marine electronics and technology, um, Ben is my go-to guy. So again, Ben, thanks for today. And to everyone who has watched or listened today, thank you for being with us for the Great Loop Radio podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, safe cruising.